You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news and Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. So, welcome to our podcast on Ask Dr. John Anything, uh, and hopefully I'll get to as many questions as I possibly can in the next hour. Um, so, uh, here we go. So, uh, the first question is, what does Ayurveda say about dry skin? Um, well, a lot, you know, Ayurveda, you know, was almost founded with putting oil on your skin every day, uh, starting your day with an oil, Ayurvedic oil massage. It turns out that, that on your skin, there's microbes that eat oil. The sebum that your body, your skin makes is the food for the, for the microbes on your, on your skin, which is very important. In addition to that, um, there are millions of neurons on your skin. So when you put oil on your skin, you're actually dampening the sensory exposure to those to the environment. So when you put oil on your skin, you're calming down the entire nervous system. Ayurveda, we call it vata. Anytime your nervous system is being engaged, it's called vata. And when your nervous system is aggravated, it can cause a lot of vata aggravation, which can affect your nervous system, ability to handle, be calm, handle stress, go to sleep. Um, and so one of the easiest ways to deal with aggravation of vata, which is the nervous system, which is super common in a culture where we're super stressed out and going 90 miles an hour, is to put oil, a daily oil massage. You go to my website, learn how to do that as well. Internally, your fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin D, uh, vitamin A, vitamin E, and vitamin K are all very important fat-soluble vitamins. Good quality fish oils, the research is just off the charts. You can read about our, 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 um, our mini omega, which is uh, for a little tiny pill, you get three times the potency. You have to swallow a big, huge, massive fish pill any longer, which is really cool. So you can read about that. So I look at vitamin D, good quality uh, saturated fats, coconut oil, ghee. Read about that on my website. Um, the mini omega, the fish oils, and then oil on your skin and... Um, you know, I mean, fundamentally, the skin is like the leaves in the tree, so it's going to have a lot to do with digestion as well. So we have to look at the whole package, but um, we'll get into that, I promise you, here as we dig in here. I do CrossFit three times a week. Is it true that to consume a protein shake almost immediately after a workout? Do you have a special suggestion for those who are intensely uh, active for an hour or so per day? Um, your joints have what are called synovial fluid sacs, which are filled with protein. So after you work out, the protein goes from the sac into your muscle to repair and replenish the, the muscle after a workout. If you're protein deficient, sometimes vegetarians uh, who don't get enough protein on a regular basis can become a little deficient. Those sacs can dry out, it can make your joints ache, can make you, make you have, give you a lot of joint-related issues as a result of protein deficiency, which is generally worse in the wintertime when the body really wants to rebuild and, and, and restore those proteins, which is why we... We generally do our hunting in the winter and gardening in the summer, and that would provide us with a higher protein, higher fat diet in the winter months. So if you have winter joint achiness and blood sugar-related issues, then read my protein deficiency ebook. It's a free ebook, and learn about the risks of being a little bit on the protein deficiency side. From an exercise perspective, you replenish that protein and you feed those muscles and never let those joints dry out those synovial sacs dry out. So it's a very, very valid thing to do. Um, 
I like to time it with a meal, personally. I like to time the workout where after I go work out, I'll then go have breakfast. Or if I then after I go work out, I'll then go have lunch shortly after. So I replenish it with a meal versus a shake. However, um, that's not possible. Uh, a shake is not a bad way to go. I don't like, I like to make those shakes as natural as possible without all the additives that are in all these, these exercise products to try to keep it simple, like a way simple whey protein shake with water and maybe a, it's like our whey pure, there's no sweetener in it, so you have to maybe add something like a, some fruit to make it a little bit sweeter or something like that. Um, so I'm not against it, but I like to do it with a meal uh, the very best I can to replenish that protein. If you can buy all the items in the lymph kit, what two items would you start with? The lymph kit naturally or normally includes Mangista, um, which is one of the ones I would buy for sure, which is the, uh, the, uh, the systemic lymphatic mover. Uh, and lymph cleanse, which has red root in it, which is really good for the lymph nodes. So if you had lymph nodes, swollen glands, lymph node issues, those two would be top of my list. If you had, uh, it'll be Mangista and something else, depending how you look at it. It'll be Mangista and an herb called Brahmi Brain if you're looking at brain fog issues and brain-related glymphatic congestive issues. Remember, the brain drains three pounds of toxic plaque every year out of your brain while you sleep at night. And if those lymphatics are congested, it's linked to anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, inflammation, infection, a whole bunch of stuff, right? So if you have, and so if you have brain fog-related issues, psychological issues, autoimmunity issues, I'd be thinking Brahmi, which is really good for the brain drain lymphatics. Um, and if you had sort of circulatory vascular issues or cellulite issues, I would be looking at Mangista plus lymph vein HP. So I hope that helps you, give you a better idea of what you're looking for. Should we follow the same wheat recommendations with barley and beer? Is there such a thing as good and bad beer and depending on the barley quality use? Boy, that is a great question. I have not had that one before, but I love it. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, wheat has, beer has wheat in it and beer has barley in it and beer is loaded with gluten. And if you're gluten sensitive, you know, it'll, it's the yeast in the beer that bloats you, generally speaking. Um, so, you know, you can definitely get organic barley, that's for sure. Um, um, beer, you don't see a lot of organic beers out there. Um, you know, um, my contention about wheat, as we'll probably get into here, is it's actually not the wheat if you're, if you're taking whole wheat. And when they make uh, beer, uh, um, I'm pretty sure they use, the, they use the whole grain of the wheat and the whole grain of the barley. Um, so that's important. So I think that you're probably okay, but I am not a beer maker, um, uh, so I'm not 100% sure on that. But if it is the case where they're using just the whole wheat, which I think that's what they do, the whole wheat and the whole barley, you're okay. Preferably, those things should be organic, um, but, you know, um, that's not always possible, which is why I'm a big fan of always supporting the digestive system to protect us against the pesticides which can kill the microbes that break that make the enzymes that help us digest things like beer or barley or wheat or a host of other really harder to digest foods so um it's a great question that's why i gave you a lousy answer to that question so i'm sorry um but i will look into that and i'm curious now about about that um 
Would your method of to rebuild the digestive system work with the case of diet-related brain fog? Yes, because when you have weak digestion, the proteins or the fats from the environmental pollutants go undigested from your stomach into your small intestine. When they do that, they're too big to get into your bloodstream, and they end up getting uptaken into your lymphatic system. The collecting ducts of your lymph that line your intestinal tract. When they get into your lymph, they congest your lymph. They slow down the lymph drainage, and eventually over time, it takes a while, for, the, for the, the whole lymphatic system to become sort of boggy, it can come out through your skin as a rash, it can go into your joints as an achy joint, and it can block or slow the drainage of the brain lymphs while you sleep at night, causing brain fog-related issues. So supporting and strengthening your digestion is critical for making sure that, um, that those proteins don't go undigested into the small intestine where they have the potential to cause real problems. And we'll get into how to do that in, in, in a bit here as we go on. Uh, we'd love to hear uh, a daily menu you eat to spark ideas, especially how you incorporate wheat. Well, the wheat that I eat is, um, is you know, it's, it's going to be organic, whole wheat, salt, water, and an organic starter. There's a local artisan bakery here in Boulder called Breadworks that has a handful of loaves that they make. Stuff's hard as rock in two or three days. Uh, I had some for lunch today, and you know, it was, you had a saw through it, but the middle was good and it's great, you know. Um, but that's how real bread, you know, goes. It goes bad or gets hard, you know, very, very quickly. It is springtime now here, sort of. We don't really, I don't know. Does anybody know what's really happening with the weather any longer? Uh, it is definitely spring here in Colorado uh, and um, has been for the last couple of weeks in February. So, the amount of wheat that I'm eating is dramatically less. The amount of dairy that I'm eating is dramatically less. And this is a season where it's a low-fat harvest. We're starting to eat more berries and and uh, and seeds or nuts or beans, not, not nuts, but beans and things that are sprouts and leafy greens and starting to go more towards a lower-fat type of a diet. Um, so thinking from, uh, from the springtime, you know, some, I love having a whole handful of one of those little, I'll eat a lot of berries for breakfast is whatever I can, whatever's in there, I'll eat as many berries as, as, as at least a packet of berries I'll probably eat, um, sometimes less, sometimes more. Uh, so that's what I love to start. Grapefruits are in season. I love grapefruits with a little bit of raw honey, even just without the honey, the grapefruit, but I love grapefruits for their spring harvested as well. They're really good for breakfast. That's generally what I have breakfast with a couple, a little bit of herb tea. I will put some, uh, I will put some, uh, either coconut oil or, or, or ghee or really good quality olive oil that we get, uh, into, and, and into that tea and blend it up and get some fatty acids, get some fats that way as well to start the day. And that's my breakfast. Um, and then uh, for lunch, you know, this time of year, I, you know, I, there's a place here uh, called Mad Greens, which is like a build-your-own-salad type of a place. It's really great. So I, I do frequent that uh, year-round, but in the springtime when greens are in, uh, I, I go there a lot as well. So I don't know if I'm helping you with great ideas, but we do put out a grocery list, a seasonal recipe list, and a... Um, superfood list every month of the year for free. It's called the Three Season Diet Challenge. It tells you, for like, for example, the March packet just went out this Saturday, and it gives you a grocery list for March, recipes for March, done by uh, Emma Frisch, who's phenomenal. She's, the, she's uh, one of the, from the Food Network. She did a great job taking our seasonal 
grocery list, tie them into, into monthly recipes for us, and then we have superfood lists as well. So don't miss that for really good ideas and recipes as well. Um, um, I'm sorry, I'm not getting through these very fast. Uh, we, have determined, um, we have determined that I have a problem metabolizing fast. The goal is to heal and to be able to eat all foods again. I did try the short-home cleanse and reacted with a bad case of hives. However, how long, approximately how long does it take to heal the intestinal skin and liver? <clears throat> it's a great question. And, you know, all of us are trying to reset the ability to burn fat, make energy last, not crave, 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 eat sugar and carbs as well. The pendulum has swung really, really far with a paleo concept of a diet, which is basically, you know, in extreme fashion, meat and vegetables, a ketogenic diet, forces you to burn your own fat. It's a great way to force your body to burn your own fat. And I think there's a, there's a lot of value there. However, and I think somebody asked me about a ketogenic diet as well, so I'll answer that question as well. It's coming up here. Um, for athletes. I feel like that diet is um, very, very valuable for resetting fat burning. And it happens in the spring automatically. Every year, for four months of the year, you get a, a naturally occurring low-fat ketogenic diet. It's followed by a high-carbohydrate diet with fruits and vegetables in the summer, followed by a high-protein, high-fat diet in the winter with lots of complex carbs that linger over into those winter months. So for four months of the year, you go on a ketogenic diet. You do not go on a ketogenic diet for the whole year because it's a starvation diet. People traditionally, religiously did their fasting like Lent and many of the religious fasts took place in the springtime. Why? Well, I think partially because the winter stores were gone. The harvest hasn't kicked in yet. There's nothing to eat. You're digging up roots and trying to forge for some berries and scavenge whatever you can to eat in the spring is very difficult. So it's a low-fat, austere time. You're forcing us to burn our own fat. That's what spring is trying to do to us, is reset that. So the idea in the spring is to eat a whole lot less food. In the winter, you eat a whole lot more food. Definitely at the end of summer, early winter, when all those stores are available, things are going bad, you build up that fat layer of insulation and you burn it off in the spring. So there's a time and a place for a ketogenic diet. I do not believe and it isn't historical or ancestral that anybody ate a ketogenic diet for an entire year. Studies from the book of um, The Story of the Human Body by Dr. Daniel Lieberman, Harvard professor, said that on average, the hunter-gatherers ate about 35% of their diet as starch. So many Harvard anthropologists will say that the paleo diet isn't very paleo. In fact, they have been quoted to say there's nothing paleo about the paleo diet. The Paleolithic era, they ate a lot of starch as well, and they didn't eat anywhere near the amount of protein, fat, uh, animal protein, that are, that's being suggested in the paleo diet, meat three times a day. They just weren't that good of hunters, actually. Um, so anyway, I hope that answers that question. Um, oh, the, the, the reaction to hives when you do a cleanse like that is because your skin-associated lymph is being used as a dumping ground because the lymph and detox channels are blocked. So we have to sort of kindly and gently repair that. And how I always start from when I say, I always say, let's start from scratch when I sometimes feel like people really need to really heal their intestinal skin. And this is like, you have people who can't digest wheat, grain, rice, nuts, seeds, beans, legumes. They've been eaten for millions and millions of years. And their hard to digest constituents and components on those things have been shown to be in good science to be intestinal 
stimulants for our intestinal immunity where 80% of our immune system lives. So if you can't eat those foods and you just take them out of your diet, there are studies that show that people who eat wheat have four times less mercury in their blood than people who are gluten-free. People who eat wheat have better, more good bugs and less bad bugs than people who are gluten-free. And people who eat wheat have significantly more killer T-cells, a measure of immunity, than people who are gluten-free, suggesting that when you just go off these off and take all this stuff out of your diet, and I get it, that we should for a while because you don't feel good eating it. I'm not saying eat the food and feel bad. I'm saying if you feel bad, let's stop and fix the problem. And when we talk about starting from scratch, what that looks like to me, uh, I have a four-step microbiome reset program. It starts with a, with a formula called the Slippery Elm Prebiotic Formula, which is a combination of Slippery Elm, marshmallow root, and licorice root. The herbs are chopped, not ground. You soak three tablespoons of the mixture or of each of those herbs in two quarts of water, soak it overnight, boil it down to a half a quart in the morning, strain it through a metal strainer, put the whole thing, it's written on, you, know, you can read it on my website for free, you can get it on the canister when you buy the Slippery Elm uh, prebiotic formula. You put it, strain it through a metal strainer, put it in a jar in the fridge and take tablespoon dosages like a, like a, um, like a Pepto-Bismol commercial to coat your whole intestinal tract and protect it and create a prebiotic slime on it that'll actually grow good bugs. Then we give you something called Gut Revival. It's a combination of probiotics that kill off bad bugs, kill off spectator bugs that do nothing but take up all your valuable real estate, and they have colonizing probiotics, which have been proven to stick to the gut wall and create new permanent residents that are yours if you don't take a probiotic for the rest of your life. This is like our new thing, right? Everybody's gonna take a probiotic for the rest of their life. I'm like not a fan of that at all. I like to reset function, get back to getting the body to do its own thing. So those are the two things we start with, and then we follow that up with uh, with just a colonizing probiotic called Florastor Max, and you follow that up with what's just a, a, a less potent, less expensive probiotic for another month or two uh, called Flora Restore. And that's how I, and then I take that and then I go, okay, that's like step one, and step two is what's going on with your liver and check your bile flow, and we'll dig into that as we dig into these questions here. We'll talk more about that. But that's a good start for you, and you know, generally, how long does it take is your question. Um, you know, usually um, anywhere between two to six weeks. Sometimes the short home cleanse or the Colorado cleanse, which is a two-week version, more of a digestive reset, can be really, really effective to turn the corner. But sometimes we need to start from scratch first and then go from there. Boy, I hope that helps you. Um, how would you approach a health problem with a woman who has pernicious anemia along with dizziness due to cholesterol, gallstones, liver sludge buildup? Pernicious anemia is when the stomach can't make, uh, or for some reason is not making a protein called the intrinsic factor, whose job in life is to hook onto B12 and then take that through the intestinal tract and deliver it to your brain and your skin and your blood and, and your heart and, and, uh, and your liver. And uh, so pernicious anemia is a B12 deficiency anemia due to a lack of this intrinsic factor, which only is made when the stomach is making the proper amount of digestive fire. It's like the three little bears. It can't be too wet, can't be too dry, can't be too acidic, can't be too non-acidic. It has to be just right for the body, the stomach, to make the intrinsic factor to deliver B12. Sometimes the body has, body has problems doing that, and you get what's called pernicious anemia. Now, think about this for a second. She has pernicious anemia, not making the intrinsic factor. Something's wrong with her stomach acid. Whenever you have something wrong with your stomach acid, you think, who buffers that stomach acid? The bile. 
is the bile congested? In her case, she has gallstones and bile sludge. So I would say gallstones, bile sludge, definitely the bile flow is congested. The bile is the buffer for the acid. If the bile is not there to buffer the acid the stomach needs to make, the stomach eventually will stop making the acid. Or initially, it will hold on to the acid, being Superman, saying, I'll hold on to all this acid for you, and I'll wait for the liver to kick in and make the bile. But it never really does, because it's super congested. It's got gallstones in there. So the stomach will eventually dial down the production of the digestive acid in the stomach, and that causes the inability to make the intrinsic factor, which can cause the inability to deliver B12, which is linked to pernicious anemia caused by congested liver and bile function, which is oftentimes caused by the function of your intestinal tract, your bowel movements, because those toxins that are in your liver came from your intestinal tract. They go directly there. So you want to scrub all those and try to figure out what's going on. So in her case, we want to reboot digestive strength and we want to turn on our liver and gallbladder. The things I love to do with getting the liver and the gallbladder turned on, my favorite thing is to start with our, start your morning with a beet, apple, and celery drink, juice, blended, I don't care how you do it, it'll all, either way, cooking it, blending it, juicing it, it'll all work to increase bile flow, which is what we want. Fenugreek and fennel tea with your meals, a fantastic way. Fenugreek increases the contractibility of your gallbladder by 75%. Turmeric, which I love our turmeric plus, because turmeric, 16 parts to one part black pepper, increases the absorption of the turmeric by 2,000% and increases the contractibility of your gallbladder by 50%. And that's what we want. We've got to start getting that little gallbladder contracting again because the number three surgery in America today is take your gallbladder out. And that's because of the processed foods, the cooked vegetables used to preserve the food, make, extend the shelf life of the bread to make it squishy for a long time, but not extend your life, just the shelf life. And that's the problem. And that has caused a lot of liver issues, a lot of bile flow issues, the number three surgery in America. This causes obesity because your bile helps you deliver fats and breaks down fats. We don't do that. We get fat. It delivers. It's caused related to uh, depression because fats support your brain and your mood stability. No fats, the brain can't stay stable. It also is directly linked to um, diabetes and type two diabetes. What we're talking about here, which is a lifestyle type diabetes, is related to liver congestion. The big drug metformin that is the number one drug in America for type 2 diabetes, is a liver drug, not a, not a, uh, not a, um, a pancreatic drug, as you think the diabetes would be. It's liver function first, and here we are. All these things that these processed foods have done to us, uh, not to mention the pesticides and the environmental pollutants, but the processed foods mostly have caused obesity, diabetes, depression, gallbladder problems, and a global breakdown of digestion. Thus, our new epidemic called the $16 billion a year gluten-free industry. And they have told us that wheat is bad and that the replacement they're giving us, $16 billion worth, is processed wheat. Processed, not processed wheat, processed bread, processed food. And it's the processed foods that broke our digestive down in the first place. So what we're getting in replacement for the, people, for the fact that people can't digest wheat is more processed food, which was the cause of the problem in the first place. It just makes absolutely no sense. But remember now, it is a $16 billion a year industry. So this is not about you and me making the world a healthier place. This is about money. And they are cashing in Cheerios now. It has gluten-free Cheerios. It's just like we are being told 
and, and given a, a message that is just based on a lot of money that can be made and an eradication of a symptom, symptom temporarily. And here we go again, never addressing the cause. So anyway, I'll try not to do that a lot, what I just did, which is to go off on my new book, Eat Wheat. I'm talking about that, but it is crazy, right? Um, so I'll try not to do that again. Um, can you name three supplements that you would take, uh, three supplements you take and will not be without? Oh, wow. Well, I'm a little nutty when it comes to supplements, but okay, in the summertime, as we move into summer, I will take neem. It's Ayurveda's probiotic because it heals the intestinal skin, gets rid of the bad bugs in your gut, and it is so powerful for the quality of your intestinal skin. In and out, by the way. And I'm a, I, I, I will put all my eggs in the basket of repairing intestinal skin for optimal health and lymphatic flow. So neem, definitely one. I'm going to do it three. Uh, Amalaki repairs intestinal skin like nobody's business. Uh, uh, if I had to choose one more, probably be, um, depending, Brahmi, Brahmi, our Brahmi brain, Centella Asiatica formula, I love it because it's a lymphatic formula, it's a brain tonic, helps you sleep, uh, it's a phenomenal formula for the nervous system and that helps deal with stress. So those three I think, and they're, and they're all really good in the summertime, and that's in the spring and summer, and that's what I really love about them. Um, and then there's other herbs if I was looking for spring cleansing, but we're not talking about that. I'm just giving you summer answers, okay? Because I love the idea that the soil bugs change from season to season to season. The foods you eat should be organic so they have bugs on them, and they also should change from season to season to season, thus the free grocery list you get every week, every month in your inbox for free, recipes for free, to help people do it. It's not that hard. You just do a little more every month. You know, nobody's checking you. Nobody's testing you. Just... Hopefully, we'll all get motivated to get our get our, our sync back, our circadian rhythms back, because that's what the science is saying that we've lost, is our connection to the light-dark cycles has been screwed up because we don't get the soil bugs in our gut at the right season, and those bugs carry the light-dark cycles to our genetic clocks. Truly, that's the science, and we need those guys. And that's why I use whole herbs mostly in my practice, to get, to, which change from season to season. When I take neem, I'm taking the leaf ground up. When I'm taking amalaki, it's the berry, the fruit, ground up. When I take uh, centella asiatica, uh, Brahmi brain, centella asiatica, I'm taking the really beautiful, delicate leaf that was put in salads for thousands of years, ground up, put in a capsule, a cellulose capsule. And to me, I'm getting sort of seasonal probiotics when I take the herbs that I take, as opposed to taking the herb that's gonna fix me. I look at them as more like foods because, you know, in one study they showed that the diversity of the food that we eat in America around the world in the last 50 years has shrunk by 56%, which means 50 years ago, the earth ate 56% more diverse foods, ethnic foods around the world, and that's shrunk by 56% in the last 50 years. We are eating industrialized, mass-produced foods. That creates a very fragile uh, supply chain of the foods that we should eat. Not to mention a very non-diverse microbiome, which Westerners have. That's, the, that's, the, that's how you know you're a Westerner, is take a look at your bugs in your gut and you have none. Some people have like three or four different strains and that's it. Um, so you have thousands. Um, that's what they look at. And so one way to get that, in my opinion, is to get the bugs from these very from these herbs in season from different parts of the world to give us the diversity that we so desperately need and lack. Um, <clears throat> okay, 
Um, how would you approach a health problem with a woman? Oh, okay, no, I did that one already. Um, what do you think of the Hubbard detoxification protocol uh, infrared sauna, Dr. McCullough, other leaders in wellness say it's most effective detoxification pro. I don't know the Hubbard protocol. I am a fan of infrared sauna, so I'm gonna have, that's as far as I'm gonna, I'm gonna go there. I started my sourdough mix in your recent book, but eat wheat, um, but it doesn't bubble after, but it didn't bubble after this third feeding. Uh, that's because the temperature was too cold. That will happen. Bugs get cold and they die. So you probably have to start over. You could possibly, she's asked if I can reuse it. You can possibly feed it again, stir it up, keep it warm and see if it comes back. Um, and that's probably what you need to do. Uh, it likes to be warm for sure. Um, I have a diagnosis. I don't know this parasite this person has. Is there an Ayurvedic protocol to treat the type of parasite? Um, neem, again, is an herb that is a, uh, a natural antiparasitic agent. Uh, the gut revival has uh, Saccharomyces that creates an environment where good bugs uh, proliferate and the bad bugs don't. Um, rebooting upper digestive strength, increasing bioflow, all these things create an environment for the parasites to not be happy there and they leave. That said, sometimes you actually need to go to the doctor, diagnose it, find a... a um, a drug that specifically addresses that parasite and get it out of your system. So I'm not against that either. But then once you take the pro antibiotic, you have the you have the, the requirement then to reboot and repopulate function of your intestine, a good healthy microbiome. Um, I just got got I got sick a week into the lymphatic protocol and stopped taking the supplements. Can I start again where I left off? Uh, yes, you can start again right where you left off and just go from there. If you got sick and had to stop the you know the lymph cleanse. The lymph cleanse is the whole lymph cleanse kit that we that we put out to help help scrub people's lymphatic systems. Um, my my husband has an essential tremor, type of Parkinson's plus severe arthritis. He takes a couple of medications, including med medical marijuana, a few uh, for the pain. What do you recommend uh, for starters in this situation? Since he needs the marijuana oil around the clock, could he do the Colorado cleanse? For sure, he could do the Colorado cleanse. There's no reason why you, we have. I live in Boulder, Colorado. I think everybody from Boulder, I shouldn't say that, I'm just joking. Um, but trust me, a lot of people uh, have done the Colorado cleanse doing medical marijuana. There's no doubt about that. Um, uh, however, uh, so there's no issues there. But if you do the Colorado cleanse and you're concerned because on medication, you can email me at john, J-O-H-N, at lifespa.com and tell me how you're doing with the cleanse and I can help you dial it up or dial it down. In the book, we give you very specific uh, ways to dial it up or dial it down. And if you do the cleanse with the group support where you get an email from me every morning, that comes up in the end of April, uh, which is coming up very soon, uh, the Colorado cleanse and then and, and the early bird special to get like the screaming, like, like more than 50% discount on everything uh, is coming up very soon. So stay tuned for that in your emails as well. Um, but yeah, there should be no problem. You can email me directly. I can help guide you and tweak it if you need to, but that's all that tweaking is in the book as well. How does Ayurveda offer, uh, what does Ayurveda have to offer in terms of schizophrenia uh, patients? Well, when they did the research for the brain limps that they didn't know existed three years ago at the University of Virginia, when they found these, that the brain limps drain three pounds of toxic chemicals and plaque out of your brain every single year, they have since linked those to what Ayurveda said they were all about thousands of years ago, uh, which is psychological concerns. <coughs> And they're linked to anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, inflammation, infection, and autoimmune conditions. Now is what they've discovered. So, what's interesting was 
and I wrote about this in a couple of articles, and I'll, I'll give you this briefly. A Dr. Cotton had, in the early 1900s, had the most successful psychiatric hospital on the planet. People sent all their relatives who weren't doing well to this guy, and he would chop off their toes and chop off their fingers and take out ovaries and, you know, infected toes, anything, and teeth, pull, anything that was infected, he'd chop it out. And they would get better. And they all thought he was nuts, but people sent their, their relatives to him because they came back better with a few missing parts, but they were better. Fast forward now 100 years, and they realized that when he was chopping off those infected parts, he was giving the lymphatic system a huge reprieve from dealing with the inflammatory infective tissue. And that would allow the brain to drain better, and it was now it's linked directly to that. I thought that was fascinating research. So I wrote an article about that, but I also wrote another article called Nausea, the sniffing of oil, sinus cleansing, and emotional baggage. Because in Ayurveda, they said that the blockage of these sinuses were directly linked to emotional psychological concerns. And cleaning out these lymphs through nasal, the nasal passages, which, get this, these lymphs in the brain that they just discovered three years ago, were discovered thousands of years ago in Ayurveda. And Ayurveda also knew that they also were able to access them through the nasal lymphatics. And guess what? The science now shows that these lymphs in the brain will drain into your sinus lymphatics right here. So when you sniff oil up there, you can actually sort of like poking a hose up, a, 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 up, up your gutters and cleaning them out. It's sort of like that to help enhance the brain drain effect. It's not a grain brain effect, it's, the, it's a drain brain effect because gluten and undigested proteins can find their way into those lymphatic vessels and congest the lymph, causing a host of mood-related, brain-foggy, wheat-based issues. Sorry, I did it again. I went back to eat wheat. But that's really the truth about it, and that's why it's a, we have to get those limbs to open up. So the article, Nausea, Sinus Cleansing and Emotional Baggage, just type it into my website. It'll give you a step-by-step procedure of how to clean out these brain lifts. Maybe the most important article I've ever written because it's, just, it's, an art, it's, it's a technique I've used for almost 26 years in my practice when I, when I would used to um, administer Ayurvedic detoxification, Panchakarma. And one of the five major detoxification techniques in Ayurveda, one of those was nausea of the five most powerful, and that means sniffing oil up your nose, which seems like, what the heck could that do? But when you read that article, you realize that we're cleaning out deep, deep uh, sinuses in the brain that are, that are really, really important. So anyway, uh, a lot to say on that, that's for sure. Um, um, my question is about cooked oils. By cooked, you mean hydrogenated. Hydrogenated is a way of cooking them, yes. Can expeller or cold press be used in baking in various solvents? Doesn't mean they didn't heat the oil in the process. If it was cold pressed, you can ho- hopefully that would give you temperatures of how hot the oil got. But if it's cold pressed, it's way, way better. And if it's organic uh, oils that they're using, they can be fine. But as soon as you put them in bread and bake them, they're rancid again and they become a problem. So that becomes the issue. And it's very difficult to keep those oils stable. But generally, if you cold press them, that's the way to do it, is to cold press them. Um, I'm paying close attention to the oils in my ready-made salad dressings. Sometimes expelled. I personally, those salad dressings, you know, um, I, I, you know, those are the things that sit in the, in the refrigerator for a very, very long period of time. And I, I'd highly recommend, maybe this is boring, but, you know, use natural, like maybe a little lemon and honey or... Olive oil and vinegar. Olive oil is way more stable in a bottle. You can do it that way. Um, 
you know, but but these vegetable oil, these salad dressings, uh, I'm not a I'm not a fan. If you use a really good oil and you made the dressing yourself fresh then and there, fine. But in the process of making these salad dressings, they're generally heated up in the process. Uh, I've been diagnosed with leukemia this December, sadly on my husband, uh, sadly on my husband and my 39-year-old anniversary. What can I do immediately to help my situation? My diet has always been good. I eat more green, take more yoga time now, but not sure the best way to detox and boost my immune system. Um, you know, I love how you said this. And, you know, and when I came back from India in 1987, um, and I co-directed Deepak Chopra Center in Massachusetts, we had an Ayurvedic Panchakarma Center. We had about six centers around the country, and everybody sent, all the other clinics sent their more terminally ill cancer patients to us. So I saw a lot of cancer concerns uh, patients. And the thing that I noticed was that the ones, it didn't matter if they did Western medicine or chemo or radiation or Ayurveda or just natural or a combination of all, I couldn't really see any major winner that one type of therapy was better than the other, except the thing that I saw was with the patients that would come to me and say, this cancer diagnosis, was the best thing that ever happened to me. It changed my life. I had a you know wake up moment and saw where I was going and and 90 mile an hour in my life, not looking at anything, eating on the run, gobbling, going, you know, just racing life, no relationships. And when they said that that when you said here that you know that you started doing more yoga and meditation and things like that, those are the things that help give you the awareness. So in Ayurveda, it's all about first become aware and then take action. I love the analogy of a bow. First you pull back the bow, and then you hold it really, really still. From silence, you shoot the arrow. If you're moving this thing, it goes wherever. It doesn't go anywhere where you want. There's no precise action. But if you pull it back, and you become still, that's your meditation. And then you act from that meditation, which requires transformational action steps in your life. You can transform old mental, emotional patterns of behavior. The stuff we think and do and say again and again and again from childlike protective patterns that we created to survive our childhood that we're oftentimes still projecting on the screen today as adults. We keep doing that same dumb stuff. We have four-lane roads, highways, lights on them. We do the same thing all the time. And that stress, that stress, that stress goes right through our gut. That's where it goes every time the same way. It creates a facilitated neural pathway of handling stress. It can overwhelm the body, overwhelm the lymph, and set you up for you know cells that may be dividing in an irregular fashion. So, of course, you want to detoxify, reboot digestion. You want to look at your history, what your digestive system is like, and fix all the parts. But you also want to look at the whole and make sure that you are engaged in action steps to free yourself from old patterns of behavior. Your nature, Ayurvedically, and now I have science to back it up and I've written it about it, is love. To give fully, give fully in your life to the people you love, not react to their behavior, doing them to really identify who you are and how you can engage in behavior based on your truth, which is that you are a loving, kind, joyful person. And then lay down pavement in that direction. So meditation is the first step. It's how you establish being. And then boom, you shoot that arrow from the science. And that's exactly why I wrote my meditation course, the, the Transformational Awareness Technique, Six Meditations to Emotional Freedom, because Nobody talks about the action step. We say, just meditate, you'll be fine. More meditate once or twice a day and life will become wonderful. You know what? I've been doing this for a long, long time. I've worked with numerous spiritual groups who've meditated for 30 years plus. And I gotta tell you, 
Just meditating alone doesn't do it. Doesn't do it. It's only half the equation. One half of the equation is established being. The other half of the equation is to perform action. That's chapter two, verse 40, chapter two, verse 42 of the Bhagavad Gita. Read it. It'll tell you the, the, the four words that describe all of Vedic science. Establish being, perform action. Establish being, yes, yoga, breathe, meditate. But then you must take action based on it. And that's what I do with my six meditations to emotional freedom. I give you six meditations. Each one takes you deeper, deeper, deeper with transformational action steps along the way. Because without the action steps, there's no action. You haven't changed anything. You're still driving down the same roads, plowing through your gut, taking out your bugs, taking out your immunity, taking out your health in the same way because we keep thinking the same thoughts that are pre-recorded stress responses from childhood. So, yes, the Colorado Cleanse. Yes, possibly the short oil cleanse. Yes, look at my digestive or articles about how to reboot digestion. Yes, look at your lymphatic system. But don't forget to unturn, unturn every rock, particularly the rock that has to do with how life has made us engage in behavior that is based on other people, letting other people make you into something that you're not. Do you, don't do them. Anyway, uh, that I hope helps answer your question. Um, best remedies for uh, a child's cough and cold. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen our, our cough kicker. This is the most amazing cough. I've, I only carry this stuff because it's so amazing. It's the most amazing cough syrup on the planet. I usually take a cough syrup in you know, five minutes, it's gone. This stuff, you can feel it working for an hour plus later. It just, it really helps to kind of repair heal, soothe, support the respiratory mucosa. And usually why they're making mucus is because they're irritated and they're making reactive mucus. So it's very soothing and it heals and repairs those tissues so they stop making the reactive mucus and great for little kids. Um, best job topical uh, for child eczema to relieve itching in addition to shea butter, body butter, vitamin D that hasn't worked for us. Um, uh, boy, I don't know. You know, eczema is so hard to deal with. Um, <clears throat> Um, in terms of what to put on it, sometimes you can just go to the diaper rash section of your grocery store and get the A and D ointment. Uh, if you can get an organic, non-petroleum-based version at the health food store, that'd be great too. But the A and D sometimes works miracles for those those rashes. Uh, it's one of the cheapest things you can buy, uh, and it works really, really well. Uh, so give that a try if it's really chronic. Um, how does scar tissue in the body affect performance besides surgery? How could scar tissues form and how do we get rid of it or heal it? Well, scar tissue um, is, is natural. Um, as we get older, we get tighter. The muscles get tight. When the muscles get tight or an injury, they get tight. Uh, or a surgery, they get tight, right? And the blood's trying to get in those muscles. And if the blood can't get in there, the muscles start laying down a protective tissue that is called fibrous tissue, um, which is tough and non-elastic because it doesn't require blood. So when the muscle gets tight, you don't get blood, so you lay down tissue, it doesn't use blood, right? It makes sense, right? You don't water your lawn, you get crabgrass. It's green, but it's tough, exactly the same. You just injure your muscle, muscle gets tight, it gets too tight to get the blood in circulation adequately, so it starts to lay down a protective tissue called fibrous tissue, which sticks the muscle together, and eventually, that can turn to scar tissue, which is tough, non-elastic tissue. That can be reversed with techniques like active release technique, a chiropractic uh, muscle technique uh, designed by a good friend of mine, Dr. Mike Leahy, a brilliant doctor. Um, 
a technique called muscle activation technique, which is more of a massage therapist technique, also really, really good. Herbs that break up the scar tissue and put the blood back into the tissue, which is the one I carry, called Boswellia Joints Plus, the Ayurvedic herb that actually helps get you to the point where you don't need a supplement because it actually breaks up the scar tissue and puts the blood back into the joint. Works very well. And I'm also a fan of MSM, methyl methane, which is a, a MSM, real super common health food store um, supplement for joints. And all those work on the cause of getting that, uh, breaking down the scar tissue. Also, an herb called Shilajit, which is uh, got in Ayurveda, it's called Lehana, or scraping properties that scrape up the scar tissue. And that formula, you can read about it on my website, is called Regenerate, because it's a, it is the most powerful regenerative herb in Ayurvedic medicine, deeply rejuvenative and regenerative for the body, but also helps break up scar tissue and gets those muscles sliding again, if that makes sense. Um, extreme reflux nightly, so bad I sit up to sleep. The quality of life has diminished, energy and optimists are low, not overweight, don't smoke or drink, diet is diverse and clean, cut yeast, wheat, coffee, sugar, out years ago, GI doctors only offered acid blockers that don't work, what do you suggest? Okay. Acid reflux at night. So generally speaking, the liver becomes active at night. So most commonly when the acid reflux comes at night, we're talking about a liver gallbladder issue. So we want to look into that and make sure the gallbladder isn't really problematic. And then sometimes an ultrasound can look at that and really find out what's going on there. If you eat fatty food or greasy food that day and at night it gets worse and you have a gallbladder issue, we need to get that gallbladder cleaned out. You also need to protect and what happens when the gallbladder isn't functioning well, the stomach says, I'll just hold on to all this acid here for as long as I possibly can because there's no bile down there. And if I dump all this acid into the small intestine, I'll burn a hole through it and kill her. So I'm not going to do that. So we're just going to hold on to it and be, you know, we're going to be the martyr here and take, take a beating. And what happens is all the acid starts to go up into the stomach, pushes up on the diaphragm, pushes up on the esophagus and can reflux through into the esophagus. But along the way, the stomach can stick to the diaphragmatic wall and over time actually herniate through the diaphragmatic wall in a condition called a hyal hernia. But years before you actually herniate through with a, a condition called a hyal hernia, you oftentimes have the stomach stuck to the diaphragmatic wall and that often is exacerbated by babies, like moms carrying babies and the baby pushing up, pushing up, pushing up can leave that to be problematic. And now the stomach is literally stuck against the diaphragm and Stomach will not make the acid, nor will it contract the way it should. If you don't make the acid, you won't make the bile. No bile, no acid, no acid, no bile. You get it? They work together, right? So that can sometimes be a problem. So you want to get in there and Google, or not Google, but go to my website and type in stomach pulling. And I teach a video how to actually open up and pull your stomach back down and massage this whole thing, either with a vibrator, with your fingers. I give you all kinds of techniques to open this up. And then you want to protect your stomach lining first and foremost with the Slippery Elm prebiotic formula, which slimes your stomach up. A herbal formula called Cool Digest before your meals along with that, that will protect your stomach as well. And then you want to start digging into the liver and the bile flow. And those are the things we mentioned already. Beet, apple, celery in the morning, fenugreek, fennel tea. Um, 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 uh, we have a couple of herbs for that. One called Beet Cleanse that will rotor root, out, rotor root out the bile ducts, one called liver repair, which will increase the production of the bile from your liver. And both those two are very, very important 
with the cool digest for the acid reflux symptoms and to help protect and heal the stomach lining. So that's a, a lot there, but I hope it makes sense. Um, um, so I was diagnosed with uh, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, EDS, hypermobility type. This is a collagen disorder that affects joints and connected tissue, but also the digestive tract. Have you worked with anybody with this disorder? Do you have any suggestions with this disorder? Uh, weak, lower esophageal valve, motility, etc. Well, again, it's sort of similar to what we just talked about. It's sort of a combination of an autoimmune type condition with really poor digestion and how when the stomach doesn't, um, when, the, when the lower esophageal sphincter is problematic, you have reflux, you have poor digestion <coughs> related bile flow issues, and then undigested food going into your intestinal tract, congestion your lymph, lymphs get congested. Next thing you know, we're looking at autoimmune type conditions. So um, it's very difficult to know exactly what to do for a condition like that until I have all the details. But what I like to do in my practice, in fact, I love to do it, is really dig into the symptoms, the, 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 the details of the, of the different syndrome that might be there, but understand it from a how the body was trying to help itself out in this process and how we can help the body help itself out with herbal support, dietary support, lifestyle support. But try to understand what the body was trying to do versus just look at this condition. You have this condition. Now you got to get rid of this condition. Let's try to get rid of, get, try to understand you, how the body created this and why I did it and how we can help the body unravel it. Because it was never, the body never does anything without a logical reason. And that's how I, how I, how I look at that. So it's just too much to, to know from, from this. I'm 62. I had my gallbladder removed at age 27. Uh, it was cholesterol-based. What's the best way for me to compensate for a lost organ? I'm healthy, but a history of moderate to severe constipation. Well, constipation is linked to bile flow. No bile, no poop, no poop, no bile. So whenever we're trying to treat constipation, we try to give laxatives, 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 which can work for a little while. But if it doesn't really work, we have to look upstream at bile flow. And with the gallbladder out, we wonder, are we making enough bile on demand? And that's where you want to think about how can I increase my bile flow, my demand, my, my ability to make more bile. And that's where um, you, these, all these things we've been talking about to help do that. The short home cleanse, which is just a four-day version of the Colorado cleanse, can be great. It's just four days. Um, that works really well. Um, and it's kind and gentle. It's a good place to start. You know, uh, I talked about having a little bit of ghee or a little bit of really good quality olive oil or a little good, really good quality coconut oil with your tea in the morning. That's a great way to help kickstart that. The beets, apple, celery, increase bile flow. Uh, they're natural cholagogues. Artichoke is a cholagogue, increases bile flow. All the bitter roots are cholagogues. Celery, apple, beets are cholagogues. So if you want to Google cholagogues, uh, those are the foods, and I've written articles about that. You can go to my website and type that in, and you'll get a bunch of foods that are really, really good for increasing the production of your bile because you're making it on demand. And if you can make more on demand, make sure those tubes are not congested. You know, starting out with something like gentle digest, beet cleanse, and liver repair, those three herbs to increase bile flow would probably be where I would start you off. Um, today, today's trend regarding how to treat Hashimoto's is to follow a paleo diet because it is said that grains cause inflammation in the intestinal tract. Some Ayurvedic doctors recommend a vegan diet, so the food is easy to digest. What do you suggest? Uh, Hashimoto's is an autoimmune condition due to cervical lymphatic congestion, 
based on congestion in the intestinal tract, based on lymphatic congestion, and based on liver congestion. So you have to scrub and look at all those. If the brain lymphs were involved, you've got to look at all those as well. Iodine levels can be checked. We have a blood test, a uh, home test kit for measuring that. You want to look at to see where you're at in that department as well. Grains are only inflammatory when you don't digest them. Um, so yeah, take them out for a while, but let's fix the reason why you're not digesting the grains. Because if you're not digesting the grains and they're inflammatory, there's, trust me, there's a host of other stuff that you're not digesting as well, like the mercury on all the organic vegetables that you can't wash off. Um, and other harder to digest proteins, which are more difficult. So, so it's again, getting back to fixing the underlying, the underlying cause. Um, it is my understanding that the, um, that the, 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 uh, season Q, the, the, the season Q pill, the birth control pill can create candida and yeast. How does one effectively balance the body's ecosystem, especially after being on this pill and, and sinus antibiotics as well? Um, what is the better alternative for birth control uh, with the least amount of side effects, hormone imbalance uh, that you can suggest? Um, the, an, an IUD is actually probably the best and the safest way to do it. If that's something that your OBGYN suggests for you, then um, that is probably the safest way to go. Um, with regard to the yeast that can be accumulated, that's exactly where I would look at someone and say, maybe we want to start from scratch. At least take the gut revival, which will get rid of the bad bugs and repopulate with permanent good bugs. That's a really good idea. If not, start from scratch with a slippery on tea prebiotic and then the gut revival to lay down a, a fabric, a, a slimy fabric of prebiotic slime and then give the good bugs on top of that to make sure the bad bugs don't proliferate but the good bugs are laid down. We actually did a study on, on those colonizing probiotics because I didn't, I wanted to just see for myself. We had 20 people go to Europe a couple years ago. Half the group took the probiotic, the colonizers, the flora restore. Half the group did nothing. When they came back, we measured their, their microbiome before and after when they came back. And the group, everybody came back with different bugs, but the ones that did not take the probiotic came back. They lost a lot of the bugs they went with and they had sort of the same amount of bugs. They just had different bugs. But the group that took the probiotics came back with the same bugs they came with and a whole bunch of brand new bugs. So they had significantly 40% more diversity by doing, and that's the goal, diversity. So that's what these colonizers were said that they would do. They'd increase diversity by 60% in one study. Our study showed 40%, pretty darn good to get diversity back with colonizers. But if you lay down the fabric, the gut revival, you got, then you're creating an environment where those guys to really stick around. Um, I'm working on a three meal a day approach. If fruit is to be eaten separately from our non-fruit meals, since they digest differently, how does it fit to the three meal approach eating? I just wrote an article about this, so I'll give you a, a little heads up. First of all, ideally fruit historically was eaten alone. Because if you ran across an apple tree or a blueberry patch, you're gonna sit there and eat them and gobble them up as quick as you can, and that's what historically, ancestrally we did. Um, Having fruit for breakfast, like, an, like some berries or, or, or grapefruit, if your digestion is good and you're a good fat burner, it's probably plenty for you to go. If you're not a good digester or not a good fat burner, it's not going to make it. You're not going to feel like you had enough and you're going to crash and burn. So we have to reset fat burning first to get to the point where fruit becomes a meal, either a breakfast or a supper, particularly in season breakfast and supper, not going to be the winter breakfast, maybe the spring or summer breakfast and supper would be a better way to go. That said, this is not a massive 
problem, the big problems that we have to deal with in our dietary world today is not whether you eat fruit or not fruit with the meal. Knowing that fruit burns quickly, but glucose, like grains, burn even quicker. So if you eat granola with some fruit on it, the granola is going to burn as glucose into your bloodstream very quickly, give you energy. By the time the fruit gets, gets processed, it will, the body will already have met its nutritional needs, its energy needs. The fruit will turn into triglycerides, which will be stored as fat. If you ate the fruit alone, those triglycerides go through your lymph and deliver energy to every cell of your body in a nice, stable fashion. That's what they do. But if the, if the needs are met, then the body will store that extra fructose as fat. That's why fruits generally come at the end of the summer to be eaten in abundance, because that's where they come. And we overwhelm the body with this fuel, store fat as an extra protective layer to insulate us for the winter that's coming around the corner. So that said, the less sweet the fruit, the more it's completely fine to have with a meal. Like an apple with a meal after a meal as a dessert is fine. Some berries with your food is fine. But the really sweet stuff I would will give you some gas and bloating if you eat it with a bunch of stuff and you'll feel kind of pretty gassy afterwards because that's what they do. It's not that you're having necessarily a particularly a bad digestion. It's just that these foods don't combine extraordinarily well. Um, interesting, Ayurveda sort of figured that out. I don't make a big deal of that because we talk about the processed foods and the pesticide foods and the non-organic food, the non-seasonal food, way bigger fish to fry than, than having an apple or some berries with your meals. Um, Truly, because that's what I see in my practice. I, I, I have, you know, real major problems. People can't eat wheat, grains, but nuts, seeds, beans. These are real problems, and not the fruit is not gonna, isn't gonna fix that, uh, unfortunately. Um, do you think a seven-day juice fast would be effective clearing uh, a dysbiosis candida situation? Proponents say the sugars are nourishing, not harming. If you, like I just said, if you just eat fruit and do fruit fasts. You'll burn that fruit as energy. It'll be stable. You'll burn what you need. You won't have any extra. You'll probably do fine as a way to detoxify and scrub your intestinal tract with candida. And that's why people say they have great success with it. Um, The tricky part of those fasts is getting off of those fasts without binging on everything else, which is is the tricky part. Um, Okay. Um, Can I eat sprouted grains or oats? On a, on a dysbiosis candida diet uh, supported by neem, ajwan protocol, and mostly vegan, so I miss my grains and feel lighter than nuts, and feel lighter uh, than nuts and beans. So here's the question. Um, can she eat, or he eat sprouted grains and oats? Um, if we don't address the understand what happened here. Is it a stomach dialing down digestive fire? Is your stomach acid too high, too low? This is what I did in, in my book, Eat Wheat. It's the only time I've really taken people on a step-by-step troubleshooting process to understand exactly how their digestion broke down and what to do about it with whole foods and some really easy-to-get herbs. And that's what has to happen here to answer that question. You know, if you're not eating digesting grains, you don't have stomach acid to break down the anti-nutrients. You don't have a coordination of stomach, duodenal, stomach acid, pancreatic, duodenal enzymes, bile flow. All that coordination is probably a little off, and we need to figure out what's really not quite right, and then bring that bring that back into balance. Um, okay, um, the slippery 
elm formula has licorice, which is not recommended for someone with high blood pressure. What is recommended for someone with high blood pressure and leaky gut? Also, the mangista has chibuus, um, which is also not recommended. Well, no. Oh, well, okay. My mangista has a little bit of tribulus, which is a very, very small amount. Um, so I wouldn't worry about that with blood pressure at all. In fact, that people have great blood pressure results with the mangista. Secondly, the amount of, and I'm going to write an article about this because I, I actually had someone, when I did the, the Ben Greenfield podcast, uh, we had a lot of questions about the licorice. And um, there's, there's just such a little bit of licorice in that. And I'm, I'm going by memory here, and I'm going to write the article because I pulled down the research on all this. I think it was 400 milligrams of the of the um, the the, uh, the glycerin, which is the chemical that causes this that causes this problem, which is the extract of the one chemical of the licorice. Now, which is a huge amount. We're taking, you know, three tablespoons of these three herbs. One of them is licorice in the root form, which is very bulky. You're taking that and you're soaking it and you're boiling it down so you're getting some of the glycerin out, out of there. Um, and you're taking that mixture of just one tablespoon and you're eating it over three days. It's, I mean, it's such a tiny amount of licorice. It's not really an issue. And I will write that article and I promise you that when you see the science, you'll be like, oh my God, this is not even an issue. This whole, like, this whole deglycerized licorice thing it's really blown out of proportion. When you look at the science to show what actually does cause the blood, blood pressure issues, in fact. Um, so, and I will write that because it's traditionally in Ayurveda and Chinese medicine, they're using real glycerin, licorice for thousands of years. And that's what we do with everything. We want to chop out one part of a plant and deem it like nature screwed up. And I'm like, mm, generally, they don't, nature doesn't do that. And we need to figure out what's really going on. And then, Give the writer, give the writer for the right reasons. But this is such a small amount; it doesn't really uh, have any of those blood sugar-related effects. Okay, Nasi, I heard that it's dangerous to inhale oil because one drop gets into your lungs and can cause pneumonia. Can you comment on this? And that's one of the reasons why we don't have people do it um, at nighttime when you lie, when you have to when you're going to lie down right away. We have to do it during the daytime, which is an important part. Um, and as long as you're upright for a little while afterwards, it's generally not a big deal. It's, it's a therapy that's been used for uh, three, maybe 4,000 years. And there's good science on Nastia now as well. So that's what I do at Lyspa, is I take the ancient wisdom, something that's been used for 1,000 years, which generally thinks that it was safe, and then I find science to back it up and I put the two together. And to me, if I can find science to prove an ancient principle, I'm gonna write about it generally. And, uh, and I usually have done it clinically and have had seen great, great success. Um, so, so I have never, ever run across that. I've never seen that. I have seen people talk about that. Definitely don't recommend it at nighttime, and that's the reason, because you want to make sure you're upright so you're, it's working into your digestive system and that wouldn't possibly drip into your throat. Um, okay, hope that helps. Great question, though. How can, how can the Colorado cleanse be modified for people with SIBO? Or does it need to be? Mung beans, rice, beets, apples are my concern. Uh, great question. Uh, one of the ways to help you know, modify the Colorado diet is to prepare for it if you have SIBO. By, you know, uh, I love starting from scratch with the, um, with, well, sometimes I'll start with neem first <clears throat> to kind of create an antiseptic environment and the gut revival. 
and, and bring the bugs back into balance. So those two generally work to bring the balance back very, very quickly. And then from there, um, go upstream, do some digestive reboot with either gentle digest, beet cleanse, and see if I can, or liver repair, get the bile to kick in and create the right environment in the intestinal tract. And then from there, the Colorado cleanse is fine. The Colorado cleanse, which is kind of interesting, um, you know, a lot of people say, well, I can't eat grains, I can't eat, you know, and I can't do kitchery and all that. It doesn't, the only, during the seven days during phase two of the Colorado cleanse, the only golden rule in there is no fat diet. So it can be anything. Now, you could do paleo during the colorado cleanse, believe it or not. We have people do that. Just as long as you're eating the lowest fat food you can with the ghee in the morning and generally a no-fat diet during the day. That's the magic combination. And that's, and that's what we call that meat or paleo version of that is in what we call the poly diet, which is meat, vegetables, soup, salad, and fruit. There's a duo diet, which is kitchery, rice and beans, and vegetables. And there's a mono diet, which is just rice and beans cooked with these spices to make them very digestive. And traditionally, historically, the kitchery was baby food and convalescence food. Someone would hand dehusk the rice. Someone would hand split the, the mung beans, split it, take the husk off, cook it with spices for hours, and make it as medicinal food. Nowadays, people can't even take that as medicine. It's baby food. It's what they give Indians, babies. To this day, it's the first food that they eat. That's how far out of whack we've gotten. But it's not difficult to put it all back together once you just listen carefully to what the symptoms are. But yeah, I don't have any problem doing the the uh, cleanse with SIBO as long as we have understood where the sensitivities are and addressed them either prior to or during the cholesterol cleanse, and we can make those adjustments along the way. Um, I'm on two SSRIs. I have tried Brahmi and ashwagandha come off all allopathic medicines, but to no avail. Is there a cure for mental illness in Ayurveda? What medicines do you suggest coming off allopathic medicine? I've been on them for 25 years. Well, Brahmi is good. I think Brahmi means Centella Asiatica and Ashwagandha. Neither of those are the great, the herbs that I would generally think of to get off of an antidepressant, by the way. And, and, and if and when I would ever do that, I would give, I would try to understand exactly what's going on, give the herbs that I would support the mood in a way, and then see if that made a difference above and beyond what the benefits you're getting from the Western medicines. And then if I can see, God, you got this much benefit from the Western medicine, out of the herbs, you got this much benefit. Now we're at a place where we, we may not need those Western medicines, and then we can safely, intelligently, with your approval of your doctor, slowly wean off. And then if we need a little boost, we can take more of the natural stuff and, and wean off in that way. But understanding what herbs are the best ones to use are important. You can look at the formula, our Happy Caps formula, Bacopa monaria, an herb that's been shown to outperform Prozac in one study. Um, also, um, also uh, Shankpuspi, another really great herb. Tulsi, another great herb. Now you can read the articles that I've written about these herbs. Turmeric has shown to be very effective for mood support as well, and it works on many other things. And then, of course, the brain lymphatics that we talked about, how critically important those are. And read that article, Nasia sinus cleansing and emotional baggage. So there's a ton. And the Colorado cleanse is a, is a cleanse that we use to help get the body to burn fat. Basically reset digestion, lymph, liver, and reset fat burning. When you dump the fat, you dump old molecules of emotion. And that's why in the Colorado cleanse book, there's a whole series of self-inquiry exercises to go through to help process, take those action steps for the emotions that we talked about. Um, 
So uh, how crucial is it, is it to take the B-Cleanse 15 minutes before the meal? Not that crucial. You can take it a little bit before the meal. helps give the body a little more time to digest it, but not critically crucial. You can take it with, during, even after. Uh, all the, the warm digest, cool digest, uh, or gentle digest, and the B-Cleanse can be taken 15 minutes before, with, or even during, or even after the meal. Um, is it necessary to take a break from all the herbs for a short period of time? For example, astragalus, ashwagandha, holy basil, or just specific herbs that are better with a break? Um, I always think of the herbs sort of in a seasonal way. And, am I, and, I, and if I have a problem, let's say I can't sleep, I want to think, okay, what are the sleep herbs in the winter, like ashwagandha and, Chang, and jadamansi, a form we have called sleep easy. And then if I move into summer and spring, Brahmi, which is cooling for that. So, so generally, I like to try to tie it to nature the very best that I can and switch gears a little bit. Um, and uh, however, sometimes you just fall in love with it or it feels so good you don't want to stop. And when you're in that therapeutic benefit zone where you're feeling great from an herb, stick with it as long as you're feeling benefit. Um, and then when it starts to stop working, then you can transition to another herb, possibly a new seasonal herb. I feel a little bad because um, I still have a whole bunch of pages of questions here, um, and um, and uh, I haven't gotten through all the questions that I'm already going on here. To it's uh, ten to seven, and this uh, is supposed to be an hour, and I'm, I feel like I'm keeping you. So hopefully you guys can um, you can if you're bored you can leave. <laughs> if I answer your question, you can leave. Uh, I'll stick around here for a few minutes longer and answer a couple more questions. I don't think I'm going to get through all of it uh, tonight, though. Um, but I'll do the best <coughs> I can here. Um, can you please address how to gain weight, especially for those who are having trouble digesting fats? Well, if you want to gain weight, you've got to be able to digest fats. And you can take herbs like Chayavamprash, our Ojas Nightly Tonic, um, you know, herbs that like ashwagandha, Herbs that are naturally, you know, sort of anabolic, bigger, make you bigger, stronger, help build the body up. Uh, the shilajit, these herbs that really help build the body up to, start, to a certain extent. But if you don't burn fat, that's going to be a problem. So we can do those herbs, but we have to sort of kindly and gently reset liver function and bile flow. In fact, that's why I created the herb called Energico, because it was a kind and gentle herb, easy to digest, that increased bile flow and energy production. But beets can do it, apples, celery, some of these things can be done uh, as well. Um, so we have, to, we have to reset the, the fat burning to get that to kick in. So sometimes some digestive support, whether it be gentle digest or cool digest or warm digest with a little bit of beet cleanse and liver pair, the right dose, not too much, to help get that to go while you build the body up with, with, uh, with those herbs that I mentioned. But also you can take the winter diet, which is heavier and warm and sweet, been really building, and you can take that and use it medicinally for a short time. Doesn't matter what season, you can use the diet as a medicine as well. You don't have to only and always eat with the season. You can use the medicine, the diets, as a medicine for a specific condition. For example, a winter vata reducing diet in the springtime to help balance your vata. Uh, you can you can definitely definitely do that. I always say do that short period, like a month or six weeks to get the job done, and then go back to eating seasonal, if that makes any sense. I have Candida, Candida. They'll follow a very clean diet with no sugar, limited grain, no alcohol, corn, dairy. I exercise regularly, have no stress. I do take antibiotics. 
Uh, I take mag magnesium and flax seeds, vitamin C. Do you have a guidance why candida is so resistant? Well, I do. It says I do tend to take antibiotics. Well, that's probably the reason, because the antibiotics, you know, clobber all your good microbes. And what I would suggest here is to, you know, see if we can first understand why you're on all the antibiotics and fix that, and then do the start from scratch program, the slippery LMT probiotic, the gut revival. We'll take care of the candida and lay down some. Some, some good colonizing microbes. But that's really the key. We've got to get to the, to the bottom of it. Uh, I have psoriasis and Hashimoto's, which may have been triggered by leaky gut and food poisoning 12 years ago. I've eliminated gluten from my diet for the past three years and am dealing with other food sensitivities now. I am working on healing my gut. Do you think it's possible I can safely include, I can have wheat and dairy in my diet again? Yeah, well, this is exactly what happens. This is why I wrote the book. For 30 years ago, people, I tell them to get off wheat and dairy, they feel better. Six months later, they come back and they have another food intolerance and another food intolerance. And we never really solved the problem. It didn't take you know, uh, me to be like super brilliant to figure out that just taking the food out of the diet wasn't actually solving the problem. It was just kicking the problem down the road. And that's exactly what I would suggest we do is we dig in, troubleshoot your lymph, your digestion, your liver, your intestinal skin, the quality of your intestinal skin, the lymphatic system that drains your intestinal skin, all those things need to be understood, and, and, I, and I, I wish I could uh, you know, go into detail, but I did that in the book, Eat Wheat, and it may be a good thing for you to read, and then you can email me with questions if you have that, or we can set up a consult to figure it out, but it's definitely doable, and to do it without destroying your thyroid for sure um, is, you know, again, that's a lymphatic, toxic exposure to your thyroid, that's because your gut is letting this stuff get through because it wasn't broken down upstream. So we can seal the gut, decongest your lymph. We've got to reboot the quality of the breakdown. So these toxins are broken down. Toxins are in the environment. We have the ability to break them down and digest them and get rid of them in a safe way. It doesn't mean just because our environment is toxic doesn't mean we're, we're, we're doomed. No, we can do this. But the, the, the detox system is your digestive system. So when one breaks down, so does the other. That's the problem, right? I read that bacteria in fermented food gets destroyed through the stomach acid. Do you agree? If there are no bacteria, why eat fermented foods? This is uh, many of the fermented, uh, the bacteria will get broken down in the stomach and many will get through. Um, and fermented foods uh, have been a way to inoculate your gut with good, with good probiotics for thousands of years. And there's some pretty good science to back that up. Most of the probiotics you buy or you have been tested to bypass and get through the acid in your stomach, otherwise they would be pretty useless because a handful of microbes don't make it through. Um, but yes, they definitely do, but some don't, and that's why you know, fermented foods are, are eaten because they were a part of the traditional way of preserving their vegetables. Um, my lymph gets very congested before menstruation and during menstruation. What do you, can I do about that? I wrote an article called It Might Not Be Hormonal, and it's all about how women who I've worked with who had menstrual issues and particularly prior to their menstrual cycle would swell and bloat and gain weight and all that. Uh, it turned out to be lymphatic congestive issues and I'd give them an herb called Mangista and in a very large percentage of cases they'd feel significantly better because we decongested their lymph and their problems were not menstrual or hormonal. They were lymph-based, decongest the lymph. The, the lymph system detoxifies the reproductive system prior to cycle as like a premenstrual detox. 
But if that lymph system is congested and you dump menstrual, premenstrual fluid waste into a congested lymph, the breasts will swell, you'll break out, get a headache, things like that. So we decongest your lymph prior to that and you feel better and all problems are solved. It's a great diagnostic tool too. You get to say, oh wow, definitely this is a lymph symptom. So now we put all our eggs in the in decongesting your lymphatic system. I'm not talking about just the lymphs when you get a lymph massage, like the superficial lymphs of your skin. That's great for your skin associated lymph, but the lymphs that we're talking about are deeper and, and, and more important as well. Um, what is the solution to stimulating stomach acid instead of taking betaine with meals? Well, my favorite herb for getting turning the stomach acid on is a herb called Warm Digest, which is which basically long pepper, short pepper, uh, black pepper, long pepper, and ginger. Three spices. And you take that, and that will kindle your digestive fire. That's a little too spicy for you. Take gentle digest, which is ginger, cumin, coriander, fennel, and cardamom. They've been shown with good science to show that it does a similar thing in a, in a more kind, gentle way. And then if you're really acidic, you take the cool digest, which, which increases digestive strength, but protects you from the acid. And those are the three upper digestive formulas that we have as well. Um, I'm currently taking a slippery on prebiotic for my leaky gut. How do you tell when a leaky gut has been healed? Uh, how long can I stay in the formula? You can stay in the formula for a couple of months. Some people like taking it for two or three months even if they feel like it's really, really helping them. And then you have to go upstream though and make sure your stomach fire is turned on and your liver file, liver. So challenge yourself. What would happen if you ate you know, some fatty food, some greasy food, and you feel yucky? Now you know you have a gallbladder issue and you gotta fix that too. So just healing the skin and your intestinal tract is step one. Step two is make sure the lymph is, an, is not an issue, and that can be read my lymphatic articles and see all the symptoms related to lymph. Maybe we need to do, do our whole lymphatic cleanse kit to clean that out. And then you go upstream to the digestive piece. Say, okay, how's my liver? Do I need liver repair, beet cleanse, all the beet, apple, celery I talked about? What do I need to do to turn my upper digestion on? Gentle digest, warm digest, or cool digest? And then you piecemeal that back together and you know, I stayed on, I know I stayed on the, the, uh, the warm digest and the bee cleanse for years. I had that in my car and I'd take a couple before I would go off into a restaurant and eat that. Then after a while, you just forget it because you feel like you don't have those digestive symptoms anymore and they go away. So anyway, really, really important to do that as well. Um, um, what do I think about alkaline water? Great question. I think alkaline water in the springtime is very seasonal and a, a good idea. I think that alkaline water... Um, alkaline water all the time when you're taking alkaline water with a pH of 9 you, you're, in, you're cleansing, 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 cleansing all the time and nature is not like that. You cleanse in the spring, you cleanse a little bit in the summer, you start rebuilding in the fall and the winter because it goes from green foods to brown foods in the winter and there's cycles of winter uh, and spring and summer that connect us with the harvest that are important. So, you know, maybe dial up and down that, that, that alkalizer to match the seasons would be, uh, I think, a, a more appropriate way to go. Um, while in the bee cleanse, I'm eating foods with fat, like nuts, seeds, avocados, and coconut. There's no reason why not. Um, those foods will help increase gallbladder contraction. You know, one of the things we don't want to be on is a no-fat, low-fat diet for any length of time. Even during the cholesterol cleanse, and our cleanses, you're on a no-fat diet during the day, but you just took, you know, three, four, five, six, ten, twelve teaspoons of ghee. So you wouldn't call it overall by any means a no-fat diet. So it, that diet forces your gallbladder to really contract in a big way. So that's something to to look at as well. Okay, guys. Um, 
Uh, it's about seven o'clock now, so that uh, I think I'm going I'm to wrap it up. And um, I want to remind you of some of our, our upcoming podcasts. We have um, in April the safe liver cleansing. A lot of people do a lot of liver cleanses that are on the web, and I want to know how, everybody know how to do them safely and when to do them and what sequence and make sure you don't hurt yourself. A lot of people just get super fatigued after those and they don't know what to do. Um, and then I did have a great interview with uh, Rod Stryker. It's called Tantra, Sex, and Relationships, and that's going to be in May. Um, in June, we have the interview with a melatonin scientist. And then um, in, um, in, um, in, uh, coming up very soon, we have our four-part training. It's a free training that we did. It's a really beautiful training called How to Detox Your Body Naturally. It's a four-part free training series. It gives you so much, so really great information. If you guys, if I didn't get to your question, you're trying to think, how do I troubleshoot my digestion and how do I fix my digestion? Question, how do I fix my digestion? That's, everybody wants to know that. And I put together a four-part free video training that you guys can watch. And that might be something that may be very helpful for you as well. Uh, so stay tuned for that. That's going to be launching very, very soon. So check out, make sure you stay tuned on our, on our, our newsletter at lifespot.com to and not miss any of these really, really cool podcasts coming up and also uh, the four-part training, just pro, uh, video training that uh, is called How to Detox Your Body Naturally, which also includes reset digestion. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Diard.